This is the podcast for Woodland Presbyterian Church in Memphis, Tennessee. We are maturing God's people to serve a hurting world. We hope you enjoy the message, and if you'd like to learn more about our church, look us up at woodlandpres.org. Thanks so much. May the Lord bless you. When my wife and I first got married, we spent two years working in Kenya. And there were many wonderful things about working in Kenya as missionaries. It was an incredible time for us and for our marriage. There was one part of working in Kenya that was not wonderful, and that was driving. It was a bone-chilling experience every time you got behind the wheel. Because, and I'm not trying to, I mean, we Memphians know we have no room to complain about drivers, right? We're pretty bad on the global list. But Kenya has us beat. And so uh, it was just terrifying, driving. And there were accidents, a number of them. And on one occasion, our car had spent a lot of time in the shop. We were towards the end of our time in Kenya. I was feeling the stress. I had just gotten the car out of the shop. The bumper had just been repaired. Keep that in mind as we continue here. And uh, I'm out on the road driving through Nairobi, and I'm driving, and I'm going to turn across traffic like this. And the person behind me was driving so fast that they managed to hit and tear off my front bumper. You heard that correctly. The person behind me tore off my front bumper. And then when I got out, they yelled at me like it was my fault. And the next thing that happened was I said about 25 or 30 words that I don't remember exactly what they were, but what I do remember is that I'm not allowed to say any of them up here. It got really bad really fast. I lost control. I am shouting at this woman. She is shouting at me. People around are now coming to where we are shouting, and they are shouting. And in Kenya, uh, when the police finally get there, they kind of pull the people to see whose fault it was. So there's a lot at stake in this shouting match. So I realize I have some friends nearby. I call my friends. They come. Then they start shouting. So I'm shouting. My friends are shouting. The world is shouting. Everyone is shouting. And all of a sudden, I have this moment where I'm like, it just hits me. And I look, and I realize that I am a missionary in Kenya, yelling at all these Kenyans. All my friends are Kenyan pastors and missionaries, and they are here with me, yelling at all these Kenyans. And I thought in that moment, I am the worst missionary ever like hashtag worst missionary ever this is the worst I wish that was the worst moment in my career of Christian work it probably is not but maybe you've had moments like that too where you were trying to do the right thing you're trying to go where God wanted you to go and you had a discovery that you were the problem in that moment okay well for the next few weeks we're going to be talking about another character from Scripture who just might be competing with me for the title of Worst Missionary Ever, the character being Jonah. So the next few weeks, we're going to be doing a study through the book of Jonah. And so let's begin uh, by reading uh, Jonah chapter 1 together. This is on page 726 in the Pew Bible. So here is God's word for us this morning. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into the ship to go with him to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. 
But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. And then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What's your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. Lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So what does this story about Jonah, who's sent on a mission, who's given an assignment, and whose performance, we might say, is not quite stellar, teach us, have to say to us this morning? Well, I think it tells us at least three things. First of all, The story of Jonah thus far that we've just read shows us that when we run from God's mission, we run from God. The story of Jonah shows us that when we run away from God's mission, God's assignment, we find ourselves running from God. The opening verse is very regular in the Bible. We hear it often when God comes to a prophet. The word of the Lord came to a person. And nearly always, the person then goes about and does whatever it is the word of the Lord came to tell them to do. But in this case, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, get up, go to Nineveh, that great city, and Jonah gets up and runs in the opposite direction. Now, we should be quick to not judge Jonah too harshly. He had lots of reasons to not want to go to Nineveh. If you turn over a few pages in your Bible to the book of Nahum, we find this description of Nineveh. Nahum says, Woe to that bloody city, all full of lies and plunder, no end to the prey. Who would want to go to a place like that? Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. The Assyrians were the ISIS, the Taliban, the Nazis of the ancient world. There were lots of big, ugly, violent people in the ancient world, but the Assyrians took the cake. They won the gold medal in nastiness. 
We archaeologists still dig up texts where they brag about their brutality. You can Google images of Nineveh and see carved into stone a picture of the king of Assyria having a dinner party with all of his guests and the head of one of his enemies hanging in a tree beside him. Who would want to go to a people like that? And they weren't just nasty, they were nasty to Israel. In fact, we know from the Bible that it is Nineveh, it is Assyria that would eventually decimate the northern kingdom, destroy the vast majority of the people of God. Who would want to go to a people like that? Not you, not me, certainly not Jonah. But what Jonah discovers, notice what the text does not say. It does not say Jonah ran to Tarshish to get away from Nineveh. It tells us three times in the text, Jonah ran to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. Jonah runs from the assignment, but the narrator makes it clear when you run away from God's assignment, you run away from God. And the narrator also makes clear that the journey away from God is a downward journey. This short book is very poetic, and one of the ways we see the poetry of the book is in the repeated language. So if you go back and read this this afternoon, you'll note that when Jonah runs away from the presence of the Lord, he goes down to Tarshish, he goes down into the boat, he goes down into the inner hold of the boat, and then he goes down into the heart of the sea, down into the great fish, and when you read chapter 2... He describes himself as going down to the very heart of the sea, to the very gates of death itself. Jonah has the answers right, theologically speaking, in this story. He knows he's supposed to worship the Lord. He knows that the Lord is the God of heaven and earth. He knows that he's supposed to do what God tells him to do. After all, he's a prophet and he got the prophetic and the word of the Lord came to business. But he's unwilling, he is unwilling to go on the mission that God has sent him, and as a result, he embraces this downward spiral, this downward journey to the very gates of death. And maybe that means that we're not all that different from Jonah after all. We come week in and week out to worship, to hear the word opened, to study it in Bible studies. We know what God asks of us, even the hard parts. And so often, we run right in the other direction. So often, we want rich worship, right? Rich teaching times. We, we, we church people, right? I'm one of us. I know how we do. We want the revival. You know, we, want, we want the really exciting you know, discipleship experience. But costly service? Not so much. And the problem is, God has given us the mission of costly service, every single one of us. And he's called us to costly service because that's where he is. And when we run from that assignment, we find ourselves running from God. So the text confronts us with this message. To run from God's mission is to run away from God. And it asks us, where are we running away from the work that God has assigned us? Because that is the place we are running away from the Lord himself. But second of all, we not only see that when we run away from God, excuse me, when we run away from God's mission, we run away from God. We also see that the God that we're running away from 
is the great king who rules over all creation. The God we're running away from is the great king who rules over all creation. Okay, show of hands. How many of you have seen the movie Moana? Okay, okay, some of you have seen the movie Moana. This is very popular in my house. It's the story of this uh, young girl who lives on an island. And one of the things that she says a couple times in the film, one of the dynamics that drives the plot forward is Moana can say, the ocean is my friend. In one of the opening scenes, she wanders to pick up some shells. And it's like, is she going to drown in the ocean? No, because the ocean moves out of the way for her. Later on, a very humorous character takes Moana and throws her off of a boat into the ocean. And what does the ocean do? Picks Moana up, puts her right back on the boat. And the humorous character is like, what's going on? She says, the ocean is my friend. I don't know. But what the story of Jonah tells us is that all of creation is God's friend. All of it. Look at how the created world responds to its king in this story. The wind responds to his command. The sea responds to his command. The lots that fall to show that he's the, the guilty one respond to God's command. The sailors respond to God's command. When he goes over the boat, the sea responds to God's command. When he appoints a giant fish, the fish responds. Later in the story, we will find that the livestock, the sun, the wind, the worm all receive God's commands and joyfully respond. Why? Because the king that we encounter in the book of Jonah is the creator who gladly and generously rules over all of his creation. And that creation responds to that God's command. Ellen Davis talks about how an early Jewish commentator on this text describes Jonah running away from his assignment. And God says, don't worry, Jonah, I have other ambassadors as good as you. And then sending the wind. This bit about God ruling over and using the waves and the great sea creature that swallows Jonah is even more striking if we know anything about the way people in Jonah's day thought about the sea. Because in the nations around Israel, the sea was really scary. That's the place where monsters were, right? There be dragons in the sea. In fact, most of the nations around Israel, when they told stories about how their gods created the world or about how their gods came to be worshipped in the world, the stories would involve your god that you worshipped having to have a battle with the sea and the sea's super creatures, they're giant sea monsters. All around the ancient Near East, they told stories like this. If you, okay, I'm showing my age and what I'm interested in, but like Clash of the Titans or Percy Jackson, you get a sense of this, right? The good guys, have, the good gods in all the places around Israel have to fight the sea and the sea monsters in order to win the day. And the sea, therefore, for ancient people, represents the forces of darkness and chaos, the forces that our God may not quite have control of. Here, look at what happens. The sea is not some dark, scary place for the Lord. The sea is God's willing servant. This giant fish isn't a monster that God has to battle. It's God's willing servant of salvation for his prophet. The things that would have scared the sailors and the Assyrians and maybe even God's people the most, this giant fish becomes just one more of God's ambassadors that he uses. And this is a theme throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. 
God's intimate relationship with creation and creation's intimate response to God. God is the one who sends the lightning bolts on their way. God is the one who waters the the wilderness places. God is the one who can say, the eagle soars at my command. Everything from the lions to the ravens look to me for food. God reminds us in this text and throughout scripture that he is the king of the cosmos. He is the ruler of creation and all creation generously responds, joyfully responds to the summons of their great king. In a world like that, there's no question whether God's going to accomplish his mission or not. Right? Jonah finds himself trapped in a world in which every, every character in the story responds to God, even the sea creatures. In a world like that, there's no question God's going to get done what he wants to get done. The only question for Jonah is whether and how he will participate in what this God is doing. So the text confronts us with with this idea that when we run away from God's mission, we run away from God, and with this identity of God as the great king who rules over all creation. But third, this God who rules over all creation is a God who delights to save the unlikely. Jonah confronts us with a God who not only rules over creation, but who delights to save the unlikely. Let's start with the sailors. The first people who heard this story, the first Israelites who heard this story of Jonah, probably were predisposed to put these sailors in the unlikely-to-be-saved category, right? They worship the wrong gods. They've got kind of an unsavory profession. We see them acting like good pagans do. They have terrible theology, like, we got to call out to all the gods. we got to find which god we've frustrated so we can solve our problems, right? These guys are, are not the good guys, these sailors. And, you know, even just from a literary perspective, if you have a story where God is talking intimately with one character and a whole bunch of characters he's not talking to at all, you expect the guy he's talking to to be the good guy. But not in this story. In this story, it's the people he hadn't had anything to do with that all of a sudden start acting like good Israelite people of God. Look at what these pagan sailors do. They try to save Jonah's life. By the end of the story, they fear the Lord with great fear, which Jonah's already said when they ask him, who are you? He says, I fear the Lord. At the end of the story, it's the sailors who fear the Lord. They call on the Lord. They stop calling on the gods, and they start calling on the Lord, capital L-O-R-D in your Bible, which represents the, the Hebrew word Yahweh, which is like the pet name for God, Israel's pet name for God, their unique, special name. By the end of the story, these pagan sailors are calling on the Lord by his special name. And not only that, but they are making sacrifices and fulfilling vows, which is the exact way Jonah will describe at the end of chapter 2 what good Israelites do. By the end of the story, these unlikely pagan sailors have become members of the people of God. They are the least likely at the beginning of the story. But our God delights to save the unlikely. And in fact, if we pay attention, the story subtly forces us to put ourselves in that category of the unlikely people that God saves. Because after all, most of us are a lot like Jonah, right? We're members of the team. 
We've got, we, you know, they, the, the pastors know where we sit at Woodland Press because we're there every week. We, like, go to the Bible studies. We do the religious things. We are part of God's team, just like Jonah. And yet here, the unlikely category includes Jonah. The unlike the category of people that God's after to save, the unlikely that God is chasing down to rescue includes Jonah, who, as I hinted earlier, is now competing with me for the heavyweight title of worst missionary ever. I mean, think about it. We've already seen in a chapter, we're going to see it over the whole course of the book, we've got four chapters, all sorts of characters, from the big fish to the Ninevites to the sailors to the worm to the livestock in Nineveh. Every single character without exception in this book says yes to God. Except for the prophet! He's the only member of the people of God. He's the only character that God speaks, the only human character that God speaks to directly, and he's the only one who gets it wrong. This religious of religious persons. And in fact, he's such a bad missionary. He's the one who brings trouble to the sailors in the first place. Did you catch that? The only reason why the sailors are, lose their livelihood, they have to throw all their money in the sea, the only reason why they almost die is because they run into one of God's people acting like a complete jerk. The story shows us that God delights to save the unlikely and we are the unlikely. And this story forces us to recognize that Jonah, if we're paying attention, is in the unlikely category all the way to the end. Now, uh, chapter 2, you know what happens. God appoints the fish. The fish swallows Jonah. He's in the fish for three days, and then he prays finally. And it's a beautiful prayer that takes up all of chapter 2. And I would really encourage you, next week we're going to pick up in chapter 3. So sometime this week, read that second chapter. It's glorious. But listen to how it ends. Jonah prays, Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, Jonah says, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. That last line, salvation belongs to the Lord, is, is one of the most important sentences in this whole book. One of the most important sentences in the whole Bible. Salvation belongs to the Lord. But if we read this carefully, I think the narrator is subtly showing us that Jonah might not quite have internalized that message all the way. Because he's setting a contrast between the people who say yes to God with sacrifices and vows and everything and the people who keep clinging to their idols. And he's saying, I'm one of the good guys. But what Jonah doesn't know is that those pagan sailors that he's probably thinking of when he thinks about those who cling to worthless idols, they were sacrificing to Yahweh three days ago. The people that he's thinking hard thoughts in his head about who cling to their idols, they've been sacrificing and making vows to the Lord for three days while Jonah's been hanging out in a fish. It's taken him three days to get to where the pagans got three days ago. And he will discover, and we will discover, as the story goes on, that we have good reasons to believe that Jonah may not have given up on all of his idols to the extent that he thinks he has. So by the end of chapter 2, Jonah, unexpectedly, is a member of the unexpected the undeserving, those who God would frankly do better without. And yet, God is on the hunt to save the unlikely. The unlikely pagan sailors and the unlikely runaway prophet. Because salvation does belong to the Lord. And so God does hear Jonah's prayer. 
Even when it's half-hearted, even when he hasn't quite gotten it right, God hears his prayer and restores him to life. And God doesn't just save him from death. God saves him to resend him on assignment. Because you remember what God says in chapter 3 to this runaway prophet? And then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. God delights to save the unlikely. He will not give up on these sailors. And he will not give up on Jonah. He will not give up on rescuing Jonah. And he will not give up on using Jonah. Even when Jonah has spent the entire story running away from being so used by God. Jonah is the hashtag world's worst missionary, and yet the God who delights to save the unlikely is running after him. And so it is with us, brothers and sisters. God who rules heaven and earth, the God who all creation responds in joyful obedience, is on the hunt to rescue and save the unlikely, including you and including me. What does that mean for us today? Very briefly, just three things. First, it means that the salvation that belongs to the Lord can be yours for the asking. It means that the God who delights to save, delights to save even you. No matter what, whether you're one of the bad pagans on the ship or you're one of the bad prophets in the pews, the God who delights to save the unlikely has you in the target of his unfailing, saving love. So brothers and sisters, the first thing to hear this morning is if you have not had an encounter with that God, if you have not been saved by the God who delights to save the unlikely, if you've not seen yourself as the unlikely one, who has been redeemed by God no matter what, out of the sheer grace of his compassion, then would you not leave this place this morning before you plead with God for salvation and discover that the Lord, to whom salvation belongs, is glad to give it. And if you want to talk about that after I remind us of the benediction that God has offered us this morning, I will walk right through those doors, and I would love to talk to you about that. But secondly, if you have received the salvation of the Lord, can I suggest to you that Jonah gives us a couple other things that we can do this week? First of all, and this is kind of a fun one, if all of creation generously responds to the great king, if the scary oceans and the sea creatures, if the wind and the waves, if the livestock in Nineveh, if even the worm at the end of the book all respond to God's good command, then all of creation is given to invite you and I to worship. This week, you're going to spend a lot of time in creation. You're going to walk outside. You're going to look at the sun. You're going to feel the breeze. You're going to hear the rain. Would you allow creation to draw you into worship? Would you allow the world around you to be a witness the way the great fish and the great sea and the great wind were a witness to Jonah and his contemporaries to the power and love and benevolence of God? Would you allow creation to draw your eyes upward to the king who rules it? and gives it as a good gift to his people? What if this week we just allowed the entire world that we encountered to be an invitation to meet with our God? And then thirdly and finally, brothers and sisters, I want to suggest to you that the story of Jonah forces us to ask, where are we running from God's mission? 
and to turn back and run towards it. I don't know where God is sending you. I don't know the mission that he's entrusted to you individually. I don't know the specifics of the mission that he's entrusted to Woodland Presbyterian Church. I know that you come here week in and week out and you hear about it. I know that you've read the text that I've read and you know that Jesus gives us the mission. He tells us wherever we go, we're to be making disciples of all nations. That means we're supposed to be constantly helping everyone we encounter grow in their relationship with Jesus. I know that you know That God has called us to go into the world and create communities where there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, no more male and female. I know that you know that Jesus said, seek first his kingdom. Worry not about things like what's in the bank account, what's the worldly status of your profession, what's your worldly street cred in the community, and to give generously and sacrificially to those who are suffering. I know that you know the Lord Jesus has assigned to each of us The task of living lives so sold out to bringing good news to our neighbor and particularly our poor neighbors that we are giving sacrificially to the poor and to the vulnerable. You know that that's part of the mission. And God, I expect, has clarified to each one of you in certain ways where he is calling you to go further up and further in to his mission. So brothers and sisters, I want to invite Jonah to help you ask the question, where are you running away from the assignment? And to have Jonah's horrible experience invite you to turn the other way and run towards the assignment that God has given you because that's where God is. Brothers and sisters, I invite you to let the story of Jonah to ask you, where is God inviting me to go further in participating with him in his mission? And where am I running away? And if you're running away, I invite you to turn and run back to our great king who loves and delights to save. Because, after all, if we persist in running away from the assignment, we find ourselves running away with God, and we might just find ourselves in a stinky, rotten, three-day journey in a big fish. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message from Woodland Presbyterian Church, maturing God's people to serve a hurting world. Again, if you'd like to learn more about our congregation, please visit us at woodlandpres.org. Thank you very much, and God bless you today.